Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's film critic, and this is a Slate spoiler special for The Prestige. Now, remember, the spoiler special is the feature where we give away the plot twists of movies in a way that a movie reviewer isn't free to do. So uh, especially for movies like The Prestige that are all based on tricks and rug pullings and magic and wild plot innovations, um, you want to make sure that you don't listen to this feature if you plan to see the movie and want to be surprised. That said, if you don't want to see The Prestige, maybe we can explain it all here for you because it's kind of a tricky one. So I'm here with Blake Wilson, a Slate editorial assistant. Hi, Blake. Hello. And we saw The Prestige together a few nights ago, um, staggered out of it with a lot of questions because it's a very tricky movie. Let's start off. Did you like it, Blake? Would you recommend the movie? I was sort of in the middle. I I was kind of dazzled by all of the the twists and the Chinese box aspect to the movie. But even though looking back at it now, everything does kind of seem to fit together. While I was watching it, it it just sort of seemed a lot of the time like a rapid succession of images that didn't have that much to do with one another. Hmm. I, I, I have to say, I liked. I must have liked it more than you did because I felt utterly compelled and drawn into the story while I was seeing it. Um, and then actually for quite a while afterwards was able to sit there and puzzle out the, the Chinese box elements of the story. Unlike you, though, the, I didn't get the story upon initially emerging. Maybe we should just try briefly, because it is so tricky, a quick plot summary of the movie. You want to try to walk through it with me? What happens? We start off, we have two dueling two. Ma- magicians, rival ma- magicians in Victorian England. And so Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman are playing these two magicians who are not just professional rivals, they're also sort of trying to kill one another. Because I guess at the beginning of the movie, Christian Bale accidentally leads to... He's doing a trick on stage. He accidentally kills Hugh Jackman's wife. Inadvertently because of a mistake he makes in the trick, right? And so for the rest of the movie, Hugh Jackman has sworn revenge on Christian Bale and does such nasty things to him that Christian Bale, in return, takes on um, this lifelong project of humiliating uh, Hugh Jackman as well. So the movie then follows them through this escalating series of tricks that they try to, um, to pull on each other, essentially to ruin each other's acts. And... Bypassing some of the individual details, we get to a point where Hugh Jackman decides that he's going to have access to the modern technology of the day, Victorian days, to one-up Christian Bale. And so he goes to Nikola Tesla, the real-life, um, what would you call Tesla, physicist, I guess he inventor? Was inventor, physicist. And sort of the rival of, of Thomas Edison at the time, inventor of the Tesla coil is the invention he's remembered for. Anyway, um, the fictional um, Hugh Jackman goes to see the real Nikola Tesla, played by David Bowie in the movie, to consult with him about this strange new invention. Okay, now here's where things started for me to get somewhat tricky, because I think that I didn't understand exactly what the invention did. Do you want to take that? Well, so Christian Bale has invented this amazing trick where he steps into a door on one side of the stage, and then he instantly emerges from a door on the other side of the stage, uh, having traversed 60 feet in half a second. And Hugh Jackman manages to imitate the trick by finding somebody who's a lookalike for him, but that ends up backfiring, and he's obsessed, just completely obsessed with figuring out how Christian Bale does the trick. Everyone's and, swearing to him that Christian Bale uses a double as well, right? And he just doesn't believe it because it's so perfectly done, and it's not a double. You can see that it's clearly the real him, both going in and going out. And so Hugh Jackman goes and he finds Nikola Tesla, and he asks him to build a transporter machine, a machine that will, you know, using these huge Tesla coils and spark of CGI electricity, dissolve him and, you know, recreate him in another place on the stage. Star Trek style, basically. Yeah, basically. A transporter. Exactly. And so Nikola Tesla does build this device before, and I thought kind of a wonderful intrusion of the movie's worldview onto reality, uh, Thomas Edison's goons come and burn down his lab. Right. Uh, 
Uh, Tesla builds this machine, but instead of building a, a transporter, he builds a replicator. And so it actually, instead of transporting, there's this whole scene where he keeps trying to dissolve and then recreate the top hat. And he ends up replicating the top hat. And you go and you see this cut to a scene outside where there are just dozens of top hats all piled up outside about 150 feet away from where the machine was built. Right. Now, that's a, that's a key scene to understand to get the end of the movie where Hugh Jackman has actually availed himself of this machine with some incredible fortune. We don't know quite how this... He's a successful magician, but we don't know quite how he manages to buy this, you know, unprecedented replicating machine. But he buys it. He works it into his act. So he returns to London and he does a limited engagement of 100 nights, one performance per night, and then he's going to retire, disappear. And the focus of his final show is this machine, the human transporter. And the crazy thing is that it's a replicator. So every time he goes into the machine, one identical copy of him is created 150 feet away up in the mezzanine. And then there's an identical copy of him, the original, left on stage. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on just a minute, Blake, because here to me is where things get really crazy. We're, we're pretty much up to the end of the movie in the final twist. And let's just, what is the trick that Hugh Jackman does Exactly. Let's go over it very closely because the end depends on understanding exactly how he's using this replicator in his act and what kind of a magician and what kind of a person that has turned him into. So in this this final version of the trick, which they've been doing these different versions of all through the movie, Hugh Jackman straps himself into this huge Tesla machine, all this electricity sparks, and then he disappears and instantly appears up on the mezzanine level, waves to everybody and standing ovations and uh, curtain drops. But what's actually happening, as we learn at the very end of the movie, is that a trapdoor is opening that a duplicate Hugh Jackman has created up on the mezzanine. There are now two Hugh Jackmans. A trapdoor opens up beneath the feet of the Hugh Jackman on the stage. He then falls into a tank filled with water. The door slams closed on it. A lock goes on. And the Hugh Jackman, the original Hugh Jackman, drowns. And then his blind stagehands swaddle the water tank in some sort of covering, and they take it off to a basement warehouse where they're now piling up dozens of dead Hugh Jackman duplicates. <laughs> when you and- describe it to me, it's no wonder that I didn't get this plot twist at the end because it's a really bizarre twist where the movie veers off from being a realist narrative about how magic is done into a science fiction narrative where there's a machine that can create new Hugh Jackmans and it's a kind of an existential crazy world where every day you kill your own double and are regenerated as that double. And it's strange because it goes from a sort of somewhat dark Victorian gothic tale where these magicians are trying to kill each other. But, you know, there's a lot of levity in the movie, too, to being, I mean, the the idea of killing yourself every night on stage for a hundred nights is pretty pathological. Yeah, I mean, it's like I say, I think that's why at the end it's supposed to be a sign of sort of the end route of obsession or something. The whole movie is about both men's obsession with besting the other man and how it sort of kills their their spirit. Let's get to Christian Bale's um, secret well, well, and what, he, how, what he's been doing the whole time. Well, so, and then it emerges that Christian Bale has been able to perform this amazing trick, apparently without using a double, because he has lived his entire life as a double. He turns out to have a twin brother And he and the twin brother have been switching off playing the role of Christian Bale, the magician, and uh, the magician's assistant. His name is Nolan? Fallon. Fallon. Uh, Nolan's the the brothers who wrote the screenplay. But this has permeated every aspect of their life, and they don't know. So one Christian Bale brother is having an affair with Scarlett Johansson. The other one is desperately in love with his wife. But passing themselves off as the same person their entire life. They pass themselves off as the same person their entire life. 
And as a result, Scarlett Johansson leaves in a huff and the wife kills herself and you know, all sorts of aspects of their life are compromised or fall apart because they're living this double life. So it's kind of a beautiful structure if you think about it. I mean, uh, Christian Bale's character's doubling is literal. He has a literal double, biological double, that he's been passing himself off as his whole life. And Hugh Jackman's doubling is all, well, I wouldn't call it metaphorical, it's actually happening. There's a lot of places, as you were noticing, where the movie has this doubling motif. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if, and we've only seen it once, but if you would go back and see it again, that every single detail of the trick, of the magic, you know, every narrative detail gets sort of repeated in a mirror version later on in the movie. So what happens is that Hugh Jackman knows that Christian Bale will will be obsessed to see how this trick works and that he will try to sneak backstage or sneak onto the stage and disrupt it because that's what they've been doing to one another for their entire career. And that's part of the reason why he set up such a sort of twisted and macabre trick that he's doing. And so the night that Christian Bale, as expected, disguises himself and gets picked to go up on the stage and then sneaks backstage and ends up underneath the stage while this final trick is going on, instead of appearing to the crowd and waving his hands and having the curtain drop, Hugh Jackman at the end of the show just bolts out of the theater, disappears, everybody's confused what's happened. They come downstairs and they see uh, Christian Bale, the lifetime nemesis of Hugh Jackman, standing in front of a water tank with a dead dead Hugh Jackman in it. And so he's arrested for murder. And that's actually where the movie begins, is at the murder trial for Christian Bale. So throughout the entire movie, essentially, we assume that Christian Bale rigged up some incredibly complicated and vengeful trick to drown Hugh Jackman, when in fact Hugh Jackman was just sort of routinely drowning himself as part (laughs) of his nightclub act. And so then at the very end of the movie, when Christian Bale sort of realizes what's happened, we realize we're, we're introduced to the Christian Bale brother. And so one Christian Bale goes to be hung for his crime, having been convicted of the murder of Hugh Jackman. And then the other Christian Bale goes and tracks down the still living Hugh Jackman, who's repurposed uh, himself as a wealthy count or lord of some sort. Right. And he finds him in the, the basement of his warehouse surrounded by all of the hundreds of water or dozens of of water tanks with dead Hugh Jackmans, and he shoots him in the stomach, sort of winning at the very end. Right. So I guess at the end, although both men seem like they've lost their souls in the name of their magic, that Christian Bale is kind of the good guy. Would you agree? Or the surviving Christian Bale brother that we're left with? Well, At least he's not quite as far gone as the Hugh Jackman character, who is just beyond. Well, and it's weird because both of these characters are deeply unsympathetic characters. They do horrible things... You know, to not only to one another, but to the other people in their lives. And I guess that we're supposed to feel sympathetically inclined to Christian Bale because sometimes Christian Bale's a real sweetie and sometimes he's a jerk. And I think the implication that's supposed to come out at the end of the movie is that the jerky aspects of Christian Bale... <laughs> were one brother. ...are one brother, the one that, that had the affair instead of was the attentive husband, and the one who ends up getting sentenced to death. But... On the other hand, it's the sort of the sweetie Christian Bale reunited with his daughter at the end of the movie who murders Hugh Jackman in cold blood in the basement of the warehouse. Right. I don't know how nice a guy he really is. Yeah, I mean, like Memento, you know, Christopher Nolan's first very successful movie. I mean, this is a hall of mirrors. It's a riddle that's really difficult to figure out. Uh, In the case of Memento, I would argue that it's impossible to figure out because there's holes in the story that I never could get around. But both of them also, I would say, in the end, are really misanthropic movies, right? There's a so-called protagonist, but it's really hard to get behind the motivations of anyone in either movie because they're all about sort of obsessive men bent on revenge who will stop at nothing to get it and who essentially 
almost become machines, these machines that just uh, repeat the same vengeful act again and again and again. So it's a really dark movie at the end. I, I liked it a lot. I guess just talking about it more, I sort of enjoy it more. And it's funny, I you know, I was happy watching the movie, but then afterwards I have been able to think of little else, just trying to, to puzzle everything <laughs> Well, there's something together. to be said for that. I mean, a movie that makes you talk about it afterwards and have interesting conversations about it afterwards, maybe it's even worth being slightly annoyed during the screening. This one, I think, makes for a whole dinner's worth of conversation, even if you're just plotting out on the dinner napkin exactly what the hell happened at the end. Um, all right, so we'll, we'll leave it at that, and uh, I think we would say overall that uh, if you're not thoroughly baffled by this um, this plot explication that it's worth seeing the prestige for yourself. So thank you for joining us for this uh, spoiler special. Thanks. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.